Uh, but we're going to jump right into it. We're going to um, look first at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Then we're going to be in a, a larger section um, earlier in Romans. But I want to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, a couple scriptures that a lot of you guys might know already. Uh, because this gives us a lot of insight into uh, how our consciences need to change and the very fact that they can. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking specifically at, at um, how we can change them. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the fact that, uh, like I mentioned, just the different types of consciences. Next week, we'll look and see how we can actually change them for the better. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I want to read this first, then we're going to pray. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with this, to do this for us, to help us to know more what is truly, discern what is the will of God. Father, our desire today as we gather here is that you would conform us, transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. We know that right now in our life, our lives, our thought process, our conscience is affected by many different things. Our conscience has been conformed to the world in many ways because we've been raised in this world. This world has influence over us. Our, our upbringing has influence over us. Our, where we work has influence over us. Our mind, our conscience is being uh, given information every single day. We're being preached to every single day from good things and bad things. Good resources, bad resources. And so we have to know that uh, as we go through this world, we are being conformed either to the world or we're being conformed into the image of Christ. And we need our minds to be transformed so that we can discern what is your will, what is good, what's acceptable, and what is perfect. We have our assumptions, we have our opinions, we have our preferences, we have all these things and we kind of just assume that we're, we're pretty good. And in one sense, it's good that we're convinced that what we're doing is your will and doing what is good. That, that's a good thing that we're convinced of that. But God, help us also to, to know and recognize that there's just no way we can possibly have all the things right. If we were to say that, then we would say that we have no need for growth. We have no need for this command in Romans chapter 12 to have our minds transformed daily. Because we would be saying, oh, no, we've, we already see everything perfectly clear. So help us, humble us. Teach us meekness. Lord, I, I hope that everyone today, including myself, I hope we're all challenged today. I hope we all bristle a little bit or a lot of it. And I just ask God that you would just give us a teachable, humble spirit. We're here because we want to be challenged. We're not here for just a quick pat on the back and a see you next week. So Lord, help us. Grow us, change us, transform us. By the power of your spirit, and through the truth in your word, work in our hearts today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. 
So Romans 12 gives us a lot of insight, even just our, our need for transformation in our mind and our conscience. And so as I mentioned last week, two or three or maybe four times, no one's conscience is perfectly aligned with God's will. And you should be convinced that it is. I want you to walk out of here and in confidence and in faith, you're making decisions for your life saying, I believe this will honor the Lord. I hope that you all are doing that every single day. And yet also though, not being arrogant, believing that you, I, I can't be wrong. There's no way I'm wrong. I, I have this all right. Don't be that arrogant to think that way. Be convinced that you're doing it right, but then don't be so arrogant to think there's no way that I'm doing this wrong. Romans 12 tells us that we need to be transformed. And this is done by the renewing of our mind, which includes the conscience, right? Paul says to present your whole body as a sacrifice. So that includes your mind, your brain, your conscience, you present everything. You say, God, here's my conscience. Transform it, right? It's not just our actions and our words, but it's our conscience even. Our mind needs to be transformed. Every single one of us needs transformation in our minds, in our conscience. And then if our mind is transformed, then we can discern, Paul says, then we can discern what is rightly the will of God. Right, so we want to know more. God, what is it that you desire for my life? What is, what is the way I can live my life that honors you? I want to rightly know what's the will of God. But until then, our minds, at least in part, have been, as Paul says, conformed to and have been influenced by the world. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. Now remember, your conscience is, is not the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's distinct from the Holy Spirit. The conscience is a common grace given to all people. Believers and unbelievers, Jews, Muslims, Christians, atheists, everyone has a conscience. So your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Now for us as believers, we have the Holy Spirit who is now influencing and shaping our conscience, but God gives this common grace, this, this moral compass built into all of us because guess what? We're all made in the image of God. But what has happened is because of sin, and this is for everyone, every faith, every, every, everyone on the planet, because of sin, that conscience, that moral compass has kind of gone askew. A lot of different determining factors that the conscience gets out of whack, it strays off course because of various influences that are coming from all over the place. Now in your notes, you can see just a few things that are in this world, and, and, and though Paul is specifically talking about the world as a, as a sinful thing, right, just the world, the world order, there also are in the world, there are kind of good and bad things that just, that influence us. So just a few of those things that conform our conscience for good and for bad. Uh, you got demographics, right, how much money you're raised with, what kind of uh, poverty level you're, you are at, or affluence, right, your, your, your background, your ethnicity, the way that you celebrate your ethnicity, uh, the different cultures you come from, the education you have, those influence you. Your family dynamics, did you grow up in an abusive home or a, ne uh, a neglecting home or did you grow up with really good values in a good type home? Did you grow up where uh, your, your parents were divorced at a young age or later age or are your parents still together? A lot of different things there. Uh, your friends, your neighbors, social media, the media, your personal experiences, maybe hardships or sufferings or pains you've gone through, maybe successes and victories. All these things have influence over you and your conscience. 
Then you've got society that's around us from across the globe to our own country, to our own county, down to kids, your, your school district, maybe the industry you work in, the job place that you're at. All these things, they, they come after us, they influence us, and not all for bad. Some good things, some bad things. Right? Our entertainment, politics and social media to, to the time period that we live in, or the very fact that we live in the 21st century, you have a different conscience. If you were born in the same location, but 150, 200 years ago, you'd have a different conscience, right? Just because of the time we live in. And that's not good nor bad. It's just, I mean, it's, it's gonna be a mix. There's gonna be good things and bad things, right? Because of the way that things change. Uh, social norms that are in our culture and in our society, those things affect us. The region we live in, even just being from Southern California as opposed to South Dakota, it's gonna be very different. Even in the same century, in the same country, you're gonna have a different conscience if you grew up here than in South Dakota. It's just gonna be different. Again, some for good, some for bad. We are, the reality is that we are culturally conditioned. That is a reality. And then, of course, hopefully, we also have this other important influence that we call the Word of God. We want the Word of God to be affecting our conscience. And then for those who are believers, we also have the Holy Spirit living in us. And he takes the Word of God, and he takes all these things that are coming at us, and he helps interpret them. Because all of us are interpreters. We don't originate anything. All we do is respond to what comes after us. We interpret what we're seeing in our life, in our feelings, in culture around us, on the news, the way that someone treats us. We're interpreting actions and words and text messages. We're interpreters. And so we have to take in all this information and say, what do I do with this? Is this right? Is it wrong? Is it aligned with God's will? Is it aligned with his word? Is God's word silent on? I don't know what to do with this, but we have to interpret and that's what Romans 12 talked about. We have to have our minds transformed so that we can discern, so we can interpret this world and our lives properly and not just go with the flow of the time we live in or the location we live in or the school we go to or the place we work in or what our neighbors are doing. We, we can't live that way. We have to interpret properly, discern properly what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. So we are a product of the world and environment that we've grown up in for both good and for bad, and that has shaped us and informed us. And not just because of what's come in, but the way that we've responded to these things, because we're all interpreters. We are constantly being calibrated. The moral compass in your heart is being calibrated all the time, constantly being conformed to something. And so we constantly need to be recalibrated. Uh, think about any time you're, you're, you're cooking something, you have to get out your little food scale, Right, do you ever just put the food scale down and you put you know, the, the raw chicken on? What do you do first? You, you gotta zero it out, right? Hey, you can't just go, oh, that's fine. Right, every time you, I, I play my guitar. Right? I don't just tune it once and then it's good. I have to tune it every single time I play, sometimes in between songs. Unless you're Ryan, he, only, he never tunes his guitar. But, <laughs> but I tune my guitar all the time. I, you can't just set it and forget it. That's not how a conscience is. You have to constantly make sure you are in tune with the Lord, and that is no easy task. Now, when I first uh, became a believer, I was 18 years old, and I took the first year. Uh, I was going to college, but I, I ended up dropping out of college because I was just, my whole life went upside down when I became a believer. I didn't know <laughs> what was going on 
in my mind and my heart. So I took a year off. Uh, I worked, and I just devoured the Word of God. And I was doing everything I could to kind of make up for lost time. I had a lot of guilt, a lot of shame from how I was living. So uh, after a year, I, I enrolled in Bible college. And while I was at Bible college, my first semester, so I'm only a year old in the Lord, and I was taking a class on the book of Romans, which we're in right now, Romans 12. And uh, the, the teacher, Brad Lambert, who's a great guy, uh, he actually is a pastor across the street from Ron Ost Church in Oceanside. So after Bible college, I got to see Brad quite a bit. Uh, he was going through Romans 14. And I wanna, we're going to read this together. It's, uh, we're going to go through eight verses here, so you should open up your Bible and grab a pen because there's some things you need to circle or underline. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up behind me. Uh, but there's some really important stuff in here as far as how we relate to one another. So Romans chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Paul, just like in 1 Corinthians that we saw last week, similar issues are going on. Same author, it's Paul. But now he's not talking to the, the, the Christians at Corinth. But now he's talking to Roman Christians who have similar problems going on. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Right? You got someone in your life who's weak in their faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinion. So welcome him, but don't welcome him to quarrel. All right? Don't let him quarrel, and you don't quarrel with him. So we welcome other people, other believers, who are weak in the faith, but not to quarrel over opinions. Circle that. Bold face it, highlight it. Not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he can eat anything. He's like, yep, I'm a Christian. I'm allowed to eat this. I can eat that. None of this makes me closer to God or further away from God if I eat. All right? But the weak person eats only vegetables. See, they stay away from that meat that's offered to idols. They go, oh, yeah, I can't eat that meat. Uh, the guy that owns that butcher shop, I know that he's not a good guy, and I don't want to support his business and whatever, so I'm just going to eat vegetables. All right? So the same issues as the Corinthian church. Some people didn't want to associate an eating meat that was offered to idols. So they're going, I, that just makes me feel weird, okay? But let not the one who eats, so the guy was like, man, that looks like a great tri-tip. That guy shouldn't look down upon the guy who abstains. You shouldn't be like, man, what's the big deal, right? He should not look down upon him. And the one who abstains should not look at the other guy and go, sinner, should not do that. He should not pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Right? God has welcomed him. Right? The, the, the weak faith Christian, the strong faith Christian, they're, they're not the arbiter of truth here. They're not the one who welcomes people into the kingdom. God does that. God does that. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Paul's like, how, how dare you judge uh, someone who's kind of just weak in their faith? Welcome him. And how dare you, who are weak in faith, think you know better and try to impose your conscience on them? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. It's not your job to be the Holy Spirit and be the conscience in someone else's life. That person's gonna answer to God and you can sleep well knowing that. Don't lose sleep over that. He's going to stand before God. It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
if the Holy Spirit is in the weak brother, the strong brother, the Lord is gonna make both of them stand. He's gonna give them strength to endure through life and all their ups and downs. One person esteems one day as better than another, but another person says every day is the same. Each should be, is what I keep saying the last couple weeks, fully convinced. You should be fully convinced that what you're doing, eating meat, not eating meat, doing what, you should be convinced that you're doing the right thing. You should be convinced. You should have conviction. Each person should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day, they're like, oh, this is an important day. They observe it in honor of the Lord. But the person uh, who eats, he eats in honor of the Lord. Right? So if you eat the tri-tip, you're going, and I'm giving thanks to God for this. Eat in honor of the Lord. But the one who abstains, who does not eat and says, mm, I can't do that, they abstain to honor the Lord. Not for the approval of man, not, not to get God's approval. That's what he addresses in 1 Corinthians. Eating or not eating doesn't make you closer to God. Abstaining, not abstaining, does not make you closer to God. But if you abstain, you do it to honor the Lord. It is your heart's motive. So the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. That's your priority, church. You standing before God. Right? Not being God in other people's lives. Now, when I heard this, Brad Lambert points out, he says, the person who abstains is weak in their faith. And I, you know, being 19, I knew everything because I've been a, a whole year in, as a Christian. I thought, no way. I, I'm strong. See, what happened at this time, I, I'd come out of the, the punk rock scene when I was in high school. And so I stopped listening to all secular music, everything. I threw out all my CDs. I'm going, all oh, these, I can't support this. And so as he's talking, he even used that example. He, he kind of went through a few examples, you know, whether it's secular music or this or this, this. And I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. I'm the strong one because I had the strength to get rid of all my CDs. See, see, that's how strong I am. I abstain. I'm more morally upright than all these sinners sitting around me who are still listening to Led Zeppelin. That's literally what I thought, but I was wrong. I was wrong. I didn't have stronger morals than my friends. I had stronger morals than the Bible. That's a, that's a problem. That's a problem. I had, it wasn't that my, my morals were strong, it's that my legalism was strong. That was the problem. Some of you have stronger morals than the Bible. Actually, all of us in some part of our life have stronger morals than the Bible. All of us. Anytime you've ever judged anyone, you just, you just proved it. Right? You look down upon someone because they don't do things the way that you do it. You just prove that you have a higher moral standard than the Bible. A legalism that is too strong. I, I saw Brad uh, years later, um, and uh, I, I told him this story, and he was, we were just kind of laughing together, and uh, he was surprised that it had, had such an effect on me, but it really did. So Paul says... You have to abstain because you have a weak conscience. Remember he said in 1 Corinthians, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Not everyone understands that freedom and that liberty in Christ. R.C. Sprawl says this, 
A mature believer, listen to this, a mature believer rightly sees no harm for himself in dining in an idol's temple in some family or community event. He doesn't accept the pagan beliefs or participate in the pagan practices, but he can associate with pagan people because he is spiritually strong. He has spiritual knowledge. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to rattle through a big long list here of a lot of topics that Christians have different views on. Some of you are against these things. Some of you guys are okay with some of these things. Some of you don't think twice about some of these things. Now, in this list, not all of these things, I don't think, are conscience issues. Some of the things I'm going to list off, I believe, truly are revealed in God's word as sin. But because some Christians don't see it that way, that's why they're on the list, okay? So if I say something, don't assume like, oh, Joby thinks that's a conscience issue. That's not what I said. All right, there are some things in here that I think are clearly sin, Right, but a lot of Christians don't. So this is a big list of a lot of different things. Now, my goal is not just to rattle the cage of your mind, your heart, but sermons like these, the tendency for all of us is to listen for who? Someone else, right? So if I just go through this and I'm vague and I just kind of give principles, what you're going to be doing is thinking, oh, I wish my spouse heard this today. Oh, I got to send this sermon to my friend, my aunt, my uncle. Like, so, but if I get specific, you're going to, you're, the little, little bell's going to go off in your head. Whoa, why did he say that one? If, if something like that sticks out in your head, write that one down. Right? If you think to yourself, oh, I'm going to email him about that one. Write that one down. I want everyone, as I read through this list, I want you to write as many as you can down, that you think to yourself, I might have that wrong. I've, I'm convinced I've got it right, but the fact that he mentioned it, the fact that some other people in my life don't agree, I, I'm going to write it down. This is a struggle. This is something that really irks me when I hear about this. I want everyone to write something down. Now, I, I'm going to tell you this. I went through this list for myself uh, after I, I made this list, and um, there's maybe four or five or six that I think are clearly revealed in God's word explicitly that are sin. The rest, and it's a lot, the rest, I'm really convinced that my opinion and my perspective is correct, but the rest of them, and there, I don't know, there's 30 or 40, I don't know, I, have, I had to look and I, I go, you know what, I, I could be wrong. So I just want you to know, I'm looking at these going, four or five or six, I'm convinced, I mean, God's word is clear, but the rest of them, I'm going, I've got an opinion, but I could be wrong. I'm, I'm open. I'm convinced, but I know technically I could find out later that I'm wrong, okay? So don't listen for other people. Don't listen for the person sitting next to you. Listen for you. And pick out, write down a few things that maybe you think, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Or maybe you think, oh, that's definitely sin. Whatever you kind of feel extreme on, whatever kind of comes up in your, your heart, you're going, it just kind of makes you bristle a bit, write it down. And there's a purpose to all this. We'll get to as we, we go. But um, here's my list here. I already mentioned music, secular music, kind of views on that. Uh, watching movies with cussing, violence, sexual content, um, parenting styles, uh, schooling decisions for your kids, uh, other movies and shows that you watch what you allow your kids to watch, 
what age to let your kids have cell phones, uh, social media use for yourself and also for your kids, how much time you spend on a phone or on watching TV or playing video games, uh, dating, how far is too far, uh, premarital sexual activity, marriage roles, acts of intimacy within marriage, political views and issues, guns and gun control, immigration laws, environmental issues, civil disobedience, wearing masks, shopping at businesses that support issues that go against your faith and values, cosmetic surgery or any kind of outer beauty adornment, uh, fashion, tattoos, modest dress in public, including places like the beach or a public pool, spending habits, luxury purchases, credit card use, dietary choices, drinking alcohol, getting drunk, smoking cigarettes or cigars, recreational marijuana use, medicinal marijuana use, the use of any kind of medicine, antidepressants, anxiety medicine, those types of things, usage of various types of birth control, uh, caffeine, uh, watching Disney movies, watching Harry Potter movies, watching shows like The Chosen or The Passion of the Christ that depict Christ, what Bible translation you use, your church involvement, how much should you be involved, what kind of worship music style a church plays, Kids playing sports on Sunday mornings, gambling, yoga, personality tests like the Enneagram and other things like that, cussing, using foul language, using the Lord's name in vain, such as saying, oh my God, or taking the name Jesus Christ as an empty phrase, telling or laughing at dirty jokes, crude jokes, racist jokes, just to name a few. Did I miss any? I'm sure I did. Don't answer. <laughs> so it's a big list. And there's a thousand different opinions in this room, even though there's only 110, whatever. Right? But there's thousands of different opinions and combinations. And chances are the person sitting next to you, even your own spouse, disagrees on some of these things. Now, again, I'm going to do another disclaimer. Same one I already said, but some of these are actually revealed in God's word as sin, but because some professing believers say they're a conscious issue, that's why they're in. So for instance, premarital sexual activity is sin, okay? So don't think that I'm like going soft. You're going like, oh, it's just a conscious. That's not what I'm saying. I, I mentioned drunkenness. That is, drunkenness is a sin. Taking the Lord's name in vain is a sin. Those are clear. But just, and also, just because some of these are a conscience issue, these are, these are, those are big, important issues, weren't they? That's some big, important stuff. This doesn't mean that they don't matter because they're a conscience issue, and it also doesn't mean that whatever you think is okay. Well, because it's a conscience issue, I can just do it. No, that's not how this works either. They're important, and we have to do the Romans 12 thing, have our minds and our conscience transformed so that we can rightly know and discern what is good and acceptable. Now, this also doesn't mean, another disclaimer, lots of disclaimers these four weeks we're going to have. This also isn't just about preference. So if you're like, well, I just don't like hip-hop music, that's fine. I don't like being on social media, that's fine. I don't like the taste of alcohol, that's fine. That's not what we're talking about. It's not like 
you know, if you don't like the taste of alcohol, therefore you have a weak, that's not what that means. That's just preference. That's just preference, right? Nothing commends you to the Lord. So uh, listening to secular music doesn't mean make you have a stronger conscience. That's not how it works. You might just not like it. That's fine. That doesn't mean you're weak, okay? So doing things in the name of having a strong conscience, that's, that's not how this works. Preference and just taste in things, that's a totally different thing. But this is about people who declare these things to be sin and then look down on or judge others who don't. And it's also about people who declare some of these things to be okay and then judge others who don't think it's okay. And it's also for people who declare them okay, but it's actually sin. All right, so it's for those. So it's not about preference, not about you know, just what you like, what you don't like. It has nothing to do with that. And lastly, it's not about people who abstain from things because those things would truly be bad for them. Right, there's some things in that list. Maybe you choose not to drink because you know that that would not be good for you. That's called wise and godly. Okay, so I'm, I'm not talking about you. I'm not saying you have a weak conscience. You have to have a very good conscience. <laughs> very good conscience. So we're not talking about doing things that lead you into sin. We're not talking about just preference. We're talking about people who just look at something that God has not called unclean and you say, no, that is sin. Absolutely. It's clear. I'm convinced. And you are in sin by partaking in something that God has not said is sin. Okay. So that's, are we okay so far? You guys still with me? (laughs) Now, ironically, a weak conscience is actually more active in the mind. In one sense, in one sense, a weak conscience is actually stronger because it's flexing on others all the time, right? It's just flexing its conscience on others. It's, it's, it's more apt to, to accuse others of wrongdoing, being the moral police, trying to be other people's consciences. So people with a weak conscience will often feel even self-condemned. They self-condemn themselves. They walk around just kind of feeling like I'm always in sin. I'm always messing up. So that, that it's very active. The weak conscience is very active. We think it's God convicting us, but it's actually our own hearts condemning us. Now, scripture calls that a weak conscience because this conscience is easily offended by what it sees, what other people do. It's fragile. It's always kind of on edge, and it's easily wounded. John MacArthur says, people with a weak conscience tend to fret about things that should provoke no guilt in a mature Christian who knows God's truth. So if you walk around and you're just feeling guilty over things that you just shouldn't feel guilty about, that shows that maybe your conscience is still underdeveloped. It's weak. It doesn't quite understand what Christ has done for you through the cross, what he has purchased for you. And this is often due to our past. As Paul pointed out, we saw this last week when he says, some people through their former association with idols, so for me, it was the secular music that controlled my life. It was like my idol. So those people eat food as if it's really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So it used to def- make me feel gross to listen to that music because of my former association with that idol. So our past brings preconceived notions that have been, that have shaped, they've shaped our consciences because of our history, our experiences, and maybe those past things haven't yet been challenged by the truth of the gospel. I was a young believer. I just thought, well, if I abstain from this, that makes me more acceptable to God. It makes me cleaner. That's not true. Only the blood of Christ makes you acceptable to God. 
That's why we saw this last week. Whether you eat or drink, that doesn't commend you to God at all. That does nothing for your standing in Christ. Only what Christ has done makes you acceptable before God. So it could be that maybe your past hasn't been relieved by the power of the gospel and the freedom that comes with it. You're still stuck. You're still self-condemning yourself from that past. And so it's almost like a penance that you're forcing yourself to not do this thing because you're trying to make up for lost time. That's what I was doing. So maybe, for instance, you come from a, a past of promiscuity. So now intimacy, even in your marriage, is, is only maybe for making babies or for just maybe a special occasion. You feel guilty enjoying intimacy, or maybe you come from a very conservative past, and so things like dancing and, or drinking alcohol, not, not getting drunk, I'm not talking about that, but just drinking alcohol is considered sinful to you because of your past. And for me, again, it was music, among many other things, but music was the one on my mind at the time. And then what we do is we project that upon other people because of our weaknesses. And we do this actually, like verbally, with people in our life, and we also do this when we see people online and go, I can't believe those people. Oh, they just don't know how to really live life. They don't really know how to really actually obey the word of God. They just don't get it like I do. So we judge people in our hearts. So the weak conscience is, is overly sensitive. They're practically looking for landmines in other people's lives, including their own lives. They think the boogeyman is around every single corner. There's a legalism. They're judgmental, self-righteous towards others, and also very self-condemning and hard on themselves. And the strong conscience, folks, they have a, a better view of God's grace and what Christ has done to set them free. They have a confidence that the gospel is big enough and God's grace is strong enough for them. They can enjoy the pleasures of life guilt-free because they know that God has given good gifts. Their conscience doesn't condemn themselves or others, but, but, they also have the self-control and wisdom and hatred of sin to avoid abusing those good gifts and turning those good gifts into idols. Right, so this is, see how nuanced this is? This isn't just like black and white. And that's why I said last week, the problem is that your conscience doesn't like gray. It doesn't like nuance. You wanna be black and white. I believe that this is wrong and this is right. right so we do not like this. This is why we have such problems online. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But these aren't the only two examples of consciences. Our consciences might not just be strong or weak, but our conscience can also become hardened, can also become seared in extreme cases. So Romans chapter two, verse five. Paul says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, your unrepentant heart, right? You're doing things in life and you say it's a conscience issue. You think it's okay, but it's actually sin. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. Your heart is unrepentant. So because of your hard and unrepentant and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So this means that some people give in to areas of conscience or what maybe they think is conscience, and they do it wrongfully. They think it's okay. They think God is fine with it. Like, using God's name in vain, or getting drunk, sexual sin. But they give into these things, not because they have a strong conscience, like, oh, it's no big deal, I'm covered by the blood of Christ. It's because they have a hardened conscience, a numb conscience. Right, so, so don't picture the person with a strong conscience, the guy who just does whatever he wants. 
That's not a strong conscience. That's not a healthy conscience. That's a hardened conscience. All right, so we have, this, we have a spectrum here. So just because maybe you're free to drink alcohol doesn't mean you're free to get drunk. Jesus said, what comes out of our mouth is what actually defiles us. What comes out of our mouth comes from our hearts. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. So the words you speak, take the Lord's name in vain, whatever, that's revealing something about your heart. So we have to recognize these things. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, kind of has that day's version of the mantra that we all know and love today is, well, you can't judge me, right? People were saying that back then. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul's saying, I know what you're thinking here. You're gonna say to me, hey, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want, right? Do you see the quotations there, right? He's saying, I know what you're saying. All things are lawful for me. You can't judge me. But Paul responds, he says, but not all things are helpful. Just because you can do something, and we're not talking about sin here, but conscience issues, just because you can doesn't mean you should. All things are lawful for me. You can't judge me. But then Paul says, but I won't be dominated by anything. Just because something's lawful. So for those of you who maybe don't listen to certain bands or music or watch certain shows or you don't drink, you go, look, it might be lawful for me to do that, but it's gonna dominate me if I do. So I won't. That's good, that's wise, that's godly. So yes, you're free to spend your money however you want, but be careful that your money doesn't dominate you. Right? You're, you're free to do that, but don't let your money dominate you. You're, you're free to enjoy different types of entertainment, but not all entertainment is actually helpful for you and your soul. So you have to be discerning. Romans 12, have your mind transformed. We've got a couple of graphics I'm gonna show you. The first one here is gonna show you God's will, God's design in that square there. That's a strong, healthy conscience. Someone whose mind is transformed and is aligned with God's will. So everything inside that box you agree with, you're saying inside the box these things are okay and you live there. The second one shows a bit bigger of a box. This is the undersensitive, the, the hardened conscience. It's, no, 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 all these things are actually okay. So you permit more and that's not good because that is a hardened conscience. Now, some of you might be going, yeah, yeah, that's those people, they're, they're sinners. It's, it's not that I'm oversensitive. See, that person's enjoying things that are, that are inappropriate for believers because they have a hardened heart and they don't see the truth that I see that those things are actually bad, but not so fast, O Pharisee of Pharisees. Because I have a third graphic for you. The third one is this one here. Some people have an oversensitive, weak conscience that actually can become seared, seared. The seared conscience is a warning for you as well. The seared conscience warning is not just for the guys who go out sinning a bunch and saying it's okay. As a matter of fact, the phrase seared conscience is actually used specifically for the legalist who's gone to the extreme. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is a fantastic verse. Paul says to Timothy, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now what kind of people? What are these people teaching? These seared conscience people. These people forbid marriage 
They require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? The person who's putting restrictions on other people, that person says that they're liars. Teaching of demons, they have seared consciences. They require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they're looking at other healthy believers going, hey, you're not allowed to do that. You can't can't do that. You better be careful if that's kind of a thing that you do. Look what Paul says here. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. Wow. If you can do something, whether it's watch a TV show or whatever, and you can do it and give thanks to God, then Paul's saying that this is a gift of God. Now, you can't have premarital sex and give thanks to God. You can't, you can't thank God for sin. Right? Do you see how that works? So if you're doing a thing and you're going, I can do this and give thanks to God, then go for it. Right? But if you can't, you need to run from that. You need to repent of that. So these are people who are teaching to practice abstinence from marriage and abstinence from certain foods, other things that God has made. And now these people are putting those restrictions on other people. So their conscience is already seared, but now they're wanting to sear other people's consciences. And Paul says that these legalists are not just simply people with a weak conscience. So this is different. Okay, this is different than just having a weak conscience, not understanding. I didn't understand when I was 19 years old. Now, I was on the road to be having a seared conscience because I was like, no, you can't do this. Right? So if you have a weak conscience, I'm not saying you have a seared conscience. Right? It's just maybe where you're at in your faith or whatever it might be. But whether it, you have a strong or weak conscience, you run the risk of either having a hardened conscience or having a seared conscience. Because the weak conscience can become so hardened by pride and self-righteousness and judgment that not only will you, they then refuse to budge, but now they're clenching a fist and holding on to the lives and consciences of others. That's a whole new level for the person with a weak conscience. The weak conscience has now become a seared conscience. So if you have a weak conscience, that's kind of for yourself to work through with the Lord. But the seared conscience person starts imposing it on other people and clenches their fists around their consciences. But then going back to Romans 2.5, as we already read, there's also people who are enjoying things that God has not deemed as good. But because of their seared conscience, their hardened heart, they go on sinfully enjoying those things. So I want to be clear here that the person who enjoys sinful things guilt-free and says that he's free to do so because he has a strong conscience, that is not actually a person with a strong conscience. That's a person with a hardened conscience. And, and I have a general opinion. I think that all of us are somewhere, everywhere on this spectrum, right? I think some of you guys have a good, strong conscience on a lot of issues. I think some of you guys, I think all of you guys have a strong conscience on a lot of issues. I think all of us have a weak conscience on some issues. I think all of us run the risk of having borderline seared conscience where we're so judgmental towards others. And then also, I think that we all probably have some areas where we have a hardened conscience. This is why we need a community, because we can't see, I was talking to someone uh, yesterday and uh, we were talking about the need for other people. I, I asked him this, without the use of a mirror, have you ever seen the back of your head? 
I'm like, oh, no, I, you know, have you ever seen the back of your ears? You're gonna live your whole entire life with these ears and you'll never see them without the aid of a mirror, right? So if, if that's the case with something physical that's visible, there are things in your mind and your heart that you will never actually see your whole life unless someone else acts as a mirror for you. Holding up God's word to be that mirror that you look into. So we need this because we, we, we think we know what we look like, but I mean, the crazy thing, you'll never see your own face without the use of a mirror. That's wild, isn't it? We need other people and we need God's word in the hands of those people. So some of us, we have our, our consciences wound too tightly. It's oversensitive and it needs adjusting. For others, our conscience is way too loose. It's undersensitive and it needs adjusting. So church, those with a weak conscience must be careful not to become so resolute in their weakness that they become treacherous legalists distorting the gospel. And those with a strong conscience must be careful not to become so cavalier with their freedom to where they numb their conscience and condone sin, also distorting the gospel. Both of these are enemies of the gospel. And I don't think one's worse than the other, to be honest. Because both empty the cross of its power. When we dig our heels in the ground over the sin that we're indulging in, or dig our heels in the ground over the legalism that we're living in, we run our risk of, of solidifying that, hardening our hearts in sin or searing our conscience in legalism. And we have to be intentional on breaking that. Otherwise, it's like doing reps, building muscle. You're gonna continually reinforce that over or under sensitive conscience. We don't want our opinions and our desires and our preferences so solidified that we don't allow God to break our molds and soften our hearts and transform us into the image of Christ as he desires. We have to be flexible, changeable, moldable, humble, teachable. What we should be doing, firstly, is acknowledging that we might be wrong on some of these things that we think we're so right in. And I'm not talking about the stuff that's clearly shown in God's word. Have your convictions but know, especially, especially, this is in your notes too, especially when there's other mature believers or pastors that you look up to and respect or that live good lives, that have fruit in their life, when they act or say differently than what you believe, just pay attention, be humble, be open. There are a number of issues that I am very passionate about, but I see other, other godly men and theologians that have different opinions, so I, I'm like, okay, I, I respect that. Now, I'm convinced that I'm right and they're wrong, but who am I? Right, so I have to walk in my conviction according to my conscience, but I also have to know I could be wrong. We've been debating this issue or that issue for 400 years or 1,000 years or 2,000 years. Why do I think I got it right? Now, the main and plain things that are clearly revealed in God's word, yes, those are the things that unite us. But all the other things that we just disagree on, good, mature, Jesus-loving, Bible-loving Christians disagree on, do we, do we really think that we've got the corner of the market on absolute truth on every single issue? We should not be so arrogant. Confident, but humble. Convinced, but humble. I want all of us to be convinced of every decision you make before the Lord. But on so many of these things, I want you, I want you to be humble. I want you to be gentle. 
That's just not easy. My desire for all of us, as I, we close up here, I'm gonna read one more scripture, but my desire for all of us is that we would grow in the knowledge of the love, the grace, the power, the freedom of Jesus Christ, the man, Jesus Christ. The Bible is more than just a rule book. It is a living love letter to us. I want you to love Jesus, not walk in fear. And, and, and there's a good fear of God, clearly. But some of us, we just feel like we're walking on eggshells all the time, thinking somehow we're gonna make him upset. I want you to fall more in love with Jesus and be built up in him, built up in your faith, the Holy Spirit shaping you, forming you, transforming your mind, your conscience, giving you a good, strong, and healthy, but, but also, listen, a, a, a strong conscience also means a tender conscience. Not weak, but tender. Right? I, I want all of us to have a strong conscience, but a tender one, where we're very sensitive to sin. We're sensitive to sin, but we're strong and faith-filled in Christ. We don't let our hearts condemn us. We don't let our past condemn us. So we wanna be tender, but not oversensitive and definitely not undersensitive, neither of those. Christ died to give you a clean conscience. He fulfilled every law and he lets us take credit for all of that so we can walk in freedom. We can enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. We need to do it wisely. We need to do Romans 12, discerning what is good and right before the Lord. We're not haphazard about it. We're not just doing whatever. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being wise, being able to give God thanks for every decision that we choose. Saying, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. We don't want to be have either weak or hardened or seared consciences. We want to have strong but tender consciences, rightly dividing truth and discerning the will of God, but with patience and gentleness and humility towards others who disagree. So I want to close with this, Colossians chapter three, verse 12 through 15. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put this on, church compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience. And Paul says, and do this too, bearing with one another, being patient with each other. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all of those things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. As I pray, I just want to remind you of the quote that I said I would probably end every sermon in these this four weeks with is from Martin Luther. Luther said, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. The word of God must be the thing that informs your conscience. So with that big old list I read, Ask yourself first, what does the word of God say about this? If it says nothing, 
or if it's kind of vague, then that's where you have to start wrestling with these things. All right, now, uh, lastly, uh, next week, we're going to look at how we change. How do we change our conscience? How does it get transformed? But also, I want to remind you, too, that if you wrote things down, or if you've got some big questions, um, email them to me. And if I get enough of, like, this particular topic, whatever, I'll do, like, either a, you know, a video type thing or address it somehow. Um, I'm not going to be able to respond to all the texts and emails of all the individual things, especially not this afternoon or tomorrow. Uh, but... Uh, as we go through the four weeks, there's going to be a few probably hotter topics. Um, I want to address these things. The goal of these sermons is not to address everything, everything on the, that big list, but it's to give you things to think through and then give you principles to actually take it apart and apply scripture to it. But if there's big things that just really bother you, then email me. I won't probably answer your question like this week or anything, but we'll probably wait to the end of the four weeks and just kind of see what some of those hotter topics are, some of those uh, most common ones, and, and I'll, I'll address it somehow, probably a video or something like that that I send out. Uh, is that fair? Okay. Right. So I want to pray. Uh, I'm going to pray through Psalm 92 that we opened up with uh, this morning and give God thanks for being our God, being our Father, for being so loving and caring and patient with us. Father, your word tells us that it is good to give thanks to you. It's good for us to sing praises to your name and to declare your steadfast love in the morning as we've done already today, to declare your steadfast love for the first day of our week as we gather together and declare your faithfulness as you take us into our evening and through the night. Lord, this morning we've played music singing of your good works and we're going to sing some more because of your good works you lord you've made us glad by your work in our hearts at the work of your hands and we want to sing for joy we want to learn how to give you thanks for all the good gifts you give we need wisdom to know of the things that are going to dominate us the things that maybe aren't wise for us but we want to give thanks for the things that we can enjoy. And we want to celebrate the fact that others might be able to enjoy things that we can't enjoy. We don't want to look down or condemn. We want to give you thanks that you've allowed certain things in their lives. Lord, your works are great. Your thoughts are deep. The fool doesn't understand this. And Lord, we want to understand what is good and acceptable. So help us transform our minds. Transform our consciences. Help us see clearly. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to, to go to others who love us, who can be that mirror with God's word to show us some things about our lives that maybe we're too permissive on some things or we're too strict about some things. We have a bad attitude towards certain people because of certain things. We have a bad attitude towards ourselves because of certain things. We live in condemnation, judgment, shame. And then we project that on others. Lord, we have, we're, we're, we're a mess. We're a mess. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We need your word to be worked in our hearts, rightly dividing between soul and spirit. We're thankful for your, your patience and your commitment towards us. We thank you that the blood of Jesus has purchased all this for us, that you are gonna finish the good work that began in us. What a great and amazing promise that you, Lord, our master, will make us stand before you.
by your strength, by your power. We love you and we thank you, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.